I remember taking a little baby dose of it. And for some reason, I thought it was just going to lull me into sleep and I was just going to roll into sleep. Instead, I was just fidgety. I had like restless leg syndrome for most of the night. Goodbye diets and hello, sustainable health. I'm Elise, dietitian and nutritionist based in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we all deserve an effortless relationship with food without obsession. Today, we're talking psychedelics, and I have with me Jenny Weiner, and Jenny is a licensed clinical social worker, and she specializes in the world of psychedelics, specifically ketamine. And the reason why I wanted to bring her on is I think there is so much potential in this therapy in shifting our beliefs, the ones that aren't serving us about ourselves, especially around body image and the things that we go through trying to navigate body image and trauma and you know inner child healing. And so before I go more into it, I'm going to have Jenny introduce herself and tell the audience all about you and how you got to be where you are today in this world. For sure. Thank you so much, Elise. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So I am a psychedelic assisted therapist, meaning I work both with psychedelics with my clients. I use ketamine as, uh, as you mentioned, and I do that work out of uh, Philadelphia And then I also provide psychedelic integration therapy, which is for people who are working with psychedelics on their own, you know, whether that's microdosing or going abroad and working with these medicines, but want some targeted therapeutic support before and after that. Um, And I do that virtually for people in a few different states. Um, But I also have a background, you know, before getting into the psychedelic work, my practice as a therapist was completely devoted to treating disordered eating and body image concerns and especially helping, you know, that sort of subclinical group of people who maybe had an eating disorder at some point don't necessarily meet criteria right now, but really have a fraught relationship with food and body and are trying to give up dieting and just live their lives now and find food freedom. So this feels like a really exciting uh, conversation for me. It's an intersection of a lot of things I'm really passionate about. It's so funny how your start was in that world. My start or introduction in the psychedelics world was Michael Pollan. And for any of you out there, Michael Pollan wrote the book Omnivore's Dilemma. And when I was in college, I remember reading that. I went to I went to college where he was, I think, an assistant professor at the time. So I was really loving his stuff. And then a few years ago, I remember seeing his name on a book on psychedelics. And I was thinking, wow, Michael is making a hard pivot into something (laughs) so new. What is he? I trust him so much around food and his philosophy around food. Let me see what he's saying here. Mm-hmm. So after you know reading that book and hearing about his experiences with this world, I was like, you know what? This this seems like he's onto something. So what was your first experience or how did you even kind of stumble on this in the first place? It's a good question. You know, I had tried a bunch of things back in the day, you know, just sort of when I was much younger recreationally and never never worked with any intention or um, sort of reverence for the psychedelic medicines and didn't have, you know, any really notable experiences. But within the last few years, psychedelics kind of just kept 
popping back up on my radar, um, hearing a friend who was microdosing and hearing about Michael Pollan's new work. And I have a couple of friends who are therapists out in the Bay Area where this, you know, you're all ahead of the curve a little bit that, you know, compared to us on the East Coast and people are already sort of working with these medicines therapeutically. And it just, something about it felt really interesting and exciting. And I remembered that I enjoyed exploring altered states of consciousness when I was younger, even if it wasn't really, again, with the same therapeutic intent, like some part of me knew that there was something there. And it just felt really exciting. And I started doing, again, my own sort of medicine work, seeking out guides and experiences, going abroad, things like that. And then just jumped on a training for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and started deepening my learning and education there. And I've since done a few trainings and and started doing that work. So it just kind of unfolded. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear that first trip. What were you hoping to get out of it? And what ended up happening in each of the subsequent trips? Good question. Um, and I'm pausing because, you know, some of it is like sort of like so personal, sacred, right? sacred mm-hmm. work. But um, I just, and I, I guess I'm thinking about it in the, these more recent years compared to like when I was younger, but just this feeling of, you know, I've done so much of my own work, my own therapy and different, I've sought out so many different modalities. I've worked, you know, I'm in the eating disorder recovery myself. I've worked with so many different providers and practitioners and but there's just always this feeling that there's something I couldn't quite get to, you know, even, even if I'm all my symptoms are under control, my relationship with food and body and exercise is all pretty good. My depression, anxiety, or like, you know, all like on paper, pretty okay. But I just knew that there was more to explore and to heal and, I didn't know exactly even what that was. And, you know, the I've worked with a number of different medicines and they all work really differently and offer different things. And, but psychedelics are fundamentally about sort of remembering truths that we've always known and already know. And I think this is so invaluable when we're talking about the body and healing the relationship with the body and learning to eat again and to feed ourselves again. Right. It's like, we know all of this somewhere. And so even that, you know, that wasn't specifically the work I was doing. I, I was further along in my recovery, but it's really just been about fundamentally like remembering who I am and what my place in the universe is. And I think that can be so valuable too, for people with eating disorders or disordered eating where we're so zoomed in on what feels like this life or death decision about something to eat or exercise or a number of some kind and the ability to zoom out and see things in a bigger perspective, see yourself as part of a bigger system and a universe and an ecosystem. And it's so powerful. Um, It just really shifts I think even the motivation for recovery. Mm-hmm. I love how you say that because I hear so many 
experiences a feeling more connected to the earth and nature. And there's this collective consciousness, I think, that gets cultivated through this work. And it is so funny because I think in this world, when we are so isolated, when we're so zoomed into whatever social media, this portal is so Mm -hmm. small Mm -hmm. and we forget that there's a whole world beyond us. And I think whenever I think about how I kind of came out of my, you know, obsessive relationship with food, Mm -hmm. it was realizing how insignificant this thing was and how much more there is to life. So Mm -hmm. I I completely Mm -hmm. understand, yeah, where you're coming from. Yeah. And if you can imagine, you know, for a lot of people, like we can talk about that intellectually, sort of what would that be like? But with psychedelics, you get oftentimes to experience that really firsthand experience, feeling that way, feeling that perspective shift. And that opens the door in a new way in your everyday life, not on the medicine, I think, to seeking that, to remembering that, accessing it. And that's just invaluable. I think for a lot of us, you might have this experience with your own patients and clients too, where we're operating off of the mind. We can logic Mm -hmm. everything out. We're so smart. We know exactly how we should and like want to feel, but like we don't actually feel it. And I think in a lot of uh, my therapy sessions, my therapist is like, okay, Elise, you're, you're saying all of these things you, you should be like, you know, thinking and feeling, but like, how are you actually feeling? Can you feel it out? And I'm like, no, thank you. I would, you know, I just want (laughs) to use my mind to guide me out and guide me towards, you know, more enlightenment. Mm -hmm. but you can't really do that. And when I was in Bali, the, what was he? He was like a spiritual teacher, but also like a yoga instructor. And he had mentioned, let the body guide and not the mind because mind is so muddled and the body is so simple. But I think, yeah, that gets lost with Mm -hmm. how we live our life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the more disconnected you are from the body, like to start with, that's, I think, a bigger leap to get to that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I am so curious in your experience, and I wonder, you know, if you're comfortable with sharing, um, when patients come to you, what are they hoping to get out of ketamine therapy? And what is it like guiding them through that journey? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people come to ketamine when they've exhausted a lot of other options. And for, you know, that's for a lot of reasons, it's a relatively new, you know, newer treatment compared to a lot of other treatments. It's expensive. It's a big commitment. There's like a fear of it for a lot of people. So a lot of people come to it, sort of they've exhausted a lot of options and in their talk therapy with their antidepressants, um, but they need, they need something more and they need something deeper There are people that also come to it at a less critical point when they're just sort of seeking this deeper exploration. And and that's really fun too. And, but people fundamentally are just seeking a shift and, and trying to lubricate the work that they've been doing in some way. There are also people that come sort of seeking quick fixes. They, you know, they've heard big things about this and I try to really just set those expectations ahead of time and and help steer people in a different direction if if they're not really ready for the deep work of it. But most people are just sort of seeking this shift. And I really view this work 
as sort of this beautiful mix of like Western medicine and sacred indigenous, you know, wisdom that has been practiced in communities around the world for thousands of years, working with plant medicines. We really borrow in a lot of their traditions, at least in the way I work with it. People work with it differently. You know, there are ketamine infusion clinics where this is sort of painting it in broad strokes. There are people that I'm sure do it differently, but by and large, the infusion clinics you go and get hooked up to an IV and you're typically alone. And that like that's the treatment. It's like a biological intervention. So my process really leverages the therapeutic relationship. We do a lot of preparation work ahead of time without the medicine. We do integration work afterwards to really take what happened in the journey space and use it and translate it into meaningful change. And again, and especially when we're talking about issues of disordered eating and right, there's so much behavioral change that needs to happen as well. And so it can be really helpful there. So it's fundamentally a catalyst for the healing work. It's not a cure that, you know, I hand someone, but it really gets things moving. And again, people work with it in all different ways. I tend to be a little more fluid and intuitive in that I'm not going to say you have to come twice a week for three weeks and this protocol, because that just doesn't always, it's not a one size fits all thing. So it's a little more um, yeah, organic, but it's this combination of these talk therapy sessions, the medicine sessions that weave sort of the Western and more ancient practices. Mm. What are some of the most surprising shifts that you've witnessed in people or revelations that you've kind of seen in your patients? And I'm wondering um, how that potentially changed their behaviors too down the line. Mm -hmm. Ketamine is interesting in that I find it to be a more subtle medicine. So you hear about, you know, there's so much talk about psychedelics and these big transformative experiences and people go do ayahuasca in Peru, which I've done too. I'm not putting that down. You know, that has its time and its place. Ketamine, in my experience, it's more these sort of subtle downloads that occur that at the moment might almost not seem that significant. People are like, well, I kind of already knew that or that was random. And, but we, the more we thread that out and work with that, the more there is there and the bigger it becomes and the more significant it becomes. And, you know, I've worked with people who, again, I mean, a big one is this, this perspective shift in which it's like, I'm actually not as important as I thought I am in a good way, you know, like, um, you know, like I, yes, like I matter and my place, in, this is, you know, my place in the world matters, but this thing that I'm making out to be so important, it really isn't. And no one's really thinking about me in that way that I thought, or people just start to notice that after they've been doing this work for a little while, an interaction with a family member that would have felt really stressful or triggering, like they just have a little more equanimity and a little more distance from it. It doesn't mean that 
there's not still an emotional reaction. They're not there, but they're just, you start to get a little space between you and the trigger. And that's, that's what you need, right? To change. So again, this is what's so important. It's not that the triggers stop happening entirely or that they go away or, um, you start to get that little bit of space and you can leverage that for real change. Now you have a choice. Now what do I do with that information, with with that emotion? And for people who are really disconnected from their bodies and historically have maybe taken that out on their bodies through restriction or um, whatever it is, now there, we offer sort of a different possibility because there's this, this increased capacity to sit with that discomfort momentarily. So it's sort of these subtle shifts that just start to accumulate. And that, you know, this can also be a good time to just implement new routines, new behaviors, new patterns of self-care and those things that Again, we talk about all the time, but it can just be so hard to get traction on. This work can really help catalyze that. Mm, I actually totally see that because in my work, whenever I, I see someone struggle with their emotions and taking it out through food, it's like, okay, are you just jumping into the flurry of overwhelm, exhaustion, X, Y, and Z, and food is your only answer. And you, there's not even a gap of a moment that you can pause and be like, what do I actually need? Mm -hmm. But that gap, that pause is so crucial to changing Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. That's it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about being in the journey space and getting to experience like that sort of what you're, what, what happens in that momentary gap? It's like, you get to experience that in the journey space expanded for like a longer period of time. What am I like free from these reactions, free from the stories I have about myself? Um, how do I experience that same trigger or stressor when I don't have that immediate response? And once you've had that experience, it just, it's easier to start to access that again in the moment in your everyday life. It's not immediate. It's not every time, but it start to get a little movement. And like, as you know, like this work that we do is so incremental. Um, So any traction we can get, it's really helpful. Mm -hmm. And speaking of stories, you know, I feel like so many people, we all have stories and the stories I hear the most in my practice is, no one will love me unless I look this way, or I'm not good enough because of X, Y, and Z, or I won't be taken seriously enough until I'm this body size or whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the stories that are the hardest to rewrite, even if people want to. Logically, they're like, I want to believe that I'm good enough or I'm beautiful enough or I can find love and be successful. It's like that disconnect is so real. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you see this work affecting something like that? It's a great question. It's not that people come out and that's all gone and they've rewritten that story. And, you know, but now you come out maybe of the medicine and intellectually you sort of have this story. And sometimes there's a grain of truth in some of these stories, right? We know that anti-fat bias is real and weight stigma and like there's reality to some of it. Um, but at the same time, you've maybe now had this 
experience of universal love. This is just like an example, but, and just really feeling like the truth in your core that, you know, of what love is and that you are love or that there's love in the universe. And now you sort of have to reconcile like this intellectual story that's maybe reinforced by societal structures and mechanisms um, with this fundamental truth that you're starting to access and that you've just glimpsed and that maybe a lot of other people around you don't know, but like you now have this kind of secret of what's really there and what is your essence. And I think even that mystery of how to reconcile these is really fertile ground for healing um, because it just starts to call into question the entire story and everything and or you just start to see more of the artificiality of the systems that we're operating within and so again that doesn't make it all go away because most other people are still operating in those systems and you go out into the world and there's airbrushed this and you know diet culture that and we still have to contend with that but it just introduces another possibility and one that feels really special and important. And I think that can really, really just support people in getting through like those more triggering moments or stressors. When you were talking about that feeling of love, I was sensing like a warm, cozy feeling. And for someone who's like deep in the trenches of feeling isolated and alone in whatever issue, that little bit of warmth, I feel like is such an antidote of being like, you know what, even though I'm so isolated, there's something out there that like is giving me warmth and coziness. That is, I think, the antidote. Honestly, you're right. It helps completely like shift the way you think about yourself if you feel that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, there are there's difficult content that come up. It's that can come up. It's not always all warm and fuzzy, although doing it in the container of a therapeutic relationship and everything and the right set and setting can really help sort of support that. But yeah, it just, usually something comes up that feels like a piece of that antidote that you're talking about, like a, even a microdose of the antidote that we inject into this system. And it just starts to change the course of things. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned um, your, your trips too with abroad or wherever you go location wise, I would love to hear from you. What was like one of those trips, like whether it was Peru, like what was that whole process like? <laughs> Yeah. Mo- most recently I went to Peru to sit with ayahuasca and it was my first time working with that medicine. So um, it was the whole experience was the medicine, let alone sort of actually drinking ayahuasca, but just completely in my case, I chose to go somewhere where I was completely off the grid, disconnected, you know, bathing in the river, no toiletries, no electricity, no running water. It felt important to me to go to the home of this plant and the tradition, the lineages that have carried, you know, this medicine. And um, the whole thing is spiritual and really profound. And um, yeah, I can't stress enough, you know, really 
tuning in to if, if someone's feeling called to work with psychedelics, like researching different medicines and noticing which ones you're feeling called to and not, not falling prey to, I have to do this one because this is what everyone's doing, or this is what someone said I should do. Like there's a time and a place and not every medicine is for everyone. And um, yeah, it, for me getting to that trip, it was a couple of years of like hearing the call to work with that medicine and really noticing when opportunities would come up and sitting with it and seeing what felt right. I love it. I think while you were honoring the lineage of this plant, I was uh, sitting in Dolores Park in SF (laughs) and, you know, people were just wandering, uh, selling mushrooms. And I was like, me, I would love some. So source mine from Dolores Park. Um, (laughs) And I might've told you this last time, Jenny, but I remember taking a little baby dose of it. And I was in the safe container of this place with my partner and he is the most cozy person. And he's done this before. And I thought I was going to be brave. For some reason, I thought it was just going to lull me into sleep and I was just going to roll into sleep. Instead, I was just fidgety. I had like restless leg syndrome for most of the night. And I was thinking, oh, okay, this is maybe not what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's like kind of a, you know, a best case scenario when it's, when it doesn't go like really <laughs> how you want it, right? Like, okay, you can have, you know, that's not a terrible experience, but with really thorough, you might imagine now with thorough preparation and sort of setting the stage. And sometimes the people we think are going to be the right person to sit for us, like I probably wouldn't have my partner sit for me again at this point, you know, <laughs> love him dearly, you know, but for me, it almost, I need like a little bit of a boundary in the relationship, like, so that I know that this person is sort of in charge in a certain way. Um, so, and that's just a personal thing. You know, there are people who do it with their partners and it's, that's exactly right. So, but taking that time to explore that and talk with someone who knows about, and again, I'm, I support you trying it how you did this. <laughs> is, I'm just sort of using this as an example of like, things you might think through and questions you might ask and seeing how they can really shape the experience. Yeah. I wish I had set more of an intention that night instead of like, oh, it's going to lull me into sleep. I don't know (laughs) what I was thinking. I thought it was going to be like a glass of wine or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not exactly, but now you know. Yeah. So guys, um, please try to do things with more intention, (laughs) maybe with the support of someone. Um, (laughs) But I think this work is so interesting. I love it. I think there's just so much potential for everyone out there. Um, who do you think is is this work for? What are those specific qualities? And who is it not for, would you say? If you are looking for a quick fix, you're hearing all about psychedelics and think like, this is the thing that's going to fix me, you're going to be disappointed because that's just not how it works. And when you sort of go down this path, you're opening yourself up to deeper work than maybe you've ever done before. And you have to really be ready for that. So people that are curious, that are sort of committed to that process, that are open to that, to the idea of that, of, of this sort of unfolding in time, I think it can be just really transformative and supportive and 
yeah, people that are really ready for the the journey, not the destination. It's so cliched, but it's so true with this work. And if you think about it, when you hear people that are really into psychedelics, most of them return to the medicines over and over. So it sort of implies that it's not like a one and done thing. Um, and then, you know, depending on the medicine, there are different rule outs in terms of medical concerns, medications, ketamine is a little easier in terms of you don't have to come off of most medications for it. But that's something you have to talk to the prescribing physician about and everything. So yeah, there are sort of like a, a few different physical and mental health rule outs. But, um, you know, someone with history of psychosis or mania, certain things like that would most likely be rule outs. But again, everything's going to be a conversation with whoever is guiding you and prescribing. So Hmm. Yeah. And this actually reminds me as you were talking about, you know, coming back to this over and over again, this is, um, this is such a, a memory that goes way back, but I remember having this experience with, I think it was weed, but it was really quite interesting. Cause I had an out of body experience. I felt like I was like floating above my body and looking at it from above and I was flipping through TV channels trying to find my life again, like my own life mm. through these channels. And I mean, this was like 10 years ago, but to this day, I still think about that memory. And it's something that I want to think, I mean, tap into mm. more because it really helped me, you know, create the gap that you were speaking of earlier of like, okay, well, nothing really matters. My life is really special. Like I need to, I need to live my own channel, my own life. Mm. And I was, I don't know if you've seen that movie, um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yes. Yes. Oh yes. 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 So good. First of all, the lights, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of stimulation. Mm. But also I think what I got out of it, I'm sure everyone gets something different out of it. You know, this woman and spoilers, this woman has now, you know, seen all of these different versions of her life, right? Where one, she's a movie star, you know, and her real life, she's a laundromat owner with her husband yeah. and um, her daughter. And there's so many iterations that she could have lived. There's so many versions of her life. But at the very end, she's happiest with her life as a laundromat owner. And I was like thinking, you know, I think we mm -hmm. all aspire to be so, you know, successful, have the perfect body, have the, you know, blah, 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 blah. None of that really matters. And it's like, just like the life that you're living, there's a, a lot of acceptance that could go a long way in making us happier. But I, it just reminds me of that like hallucinogenic situation with like me flipping through my own life yeah. channels. <laughs> and that's such a great example of how like that planted a seed that you still come back to and think about and the way that this work can sort of percolate over time and grow. Um, yeah. I love mm -hmm. that. Uh, yeah. I just think, yeah, there's so much insight that I guess we just don't ever like tap into when we're living a, you know, our day to day lives. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I loved chatting with you. And before I wrap up, um, I want to hear from you. Where can people find you? How do you do this work if people are interested in getting more into ketamine? Yeah. Thank you so much. This is, this has been so much fun. Um, so my practice, my ketamine assisted therapy practice is based in Philadelphia. So if you're local to the Philly area, you can find me there for psychedelic integration work. So that work I mentioned for people already working with medicines who just want some extra therapeutic support. 
I work virtually with folks in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Colorado, because I'm licensed to practice in all of those states. Um, and so for any of that, you can go to my website, homebodytherapy.com. And I also have a little podcast of my own, um, just about psychedelic integration. So for people who are just kind of curious and want to hear more talk about psychedelics and kind of what they're all about, it's kind of a nice introductory uh, podcast and it's just called integrating psychedelics. So, and on Instagram and things like that, although not super active at the moment, but yeah, mm-hmm. you can find me anywhere. I love it. Jenny has such a calm spirit. So I think you'll be in good hands. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, last, last question, where does sure. the name home body therapy come from? <laughs> so good question. Um, yes, I, when I founded my practice and again, what I was working really exclusively with sort of food and body stuff, uh, it's sort of this play on words being a home body myself, but really this idea of coming home to the body and to the self. And even though my work now with psychedelics has broadened, so I'm not only working with disordered eating and body image concerns, although I still am, um, even though I'm working with sort of more broadly speaking, like other other issues, it still feels like the same mission of just helping people come home to themselves. And psychedelics are like such a profound way of doing that. So kept the name and and that's just sort of what it's about. That's beautiful. I love that. I would have never known. With that, I, it, it's been a pleasure, Jenny. And I hope everyone goes and listens to your podcast and see what you have to offer. So I will wrap it up here and see you guys next week.